Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 108 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 19th of May 2013, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 40. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Well, as we continue in our series this morning on the glorious Church of Jesus Christ, and of course, for some time now, we have been looking. We, we actually did a quick review last week of the various things that we have looked at concerning the church. We've been looking most recently at the operation of a New Testament church, and we talked about the focus of a New Testament church. We talked about the functions of a New Testament church. Under those functions, we discussed the ministry of worship, the ministry of witness. We talked about the ministry of the word, the ministry of work or service, the ministry of warmth or fellowship. We want to look at one third thing under the operation of the New Testament church. And of course, I guess it's one of those things that sometimes uh, can get under people's skin a bit, under people's feathers. We find Maybe we don't think it's the most spiritual thing in the world, but you know there's something that if you're alive in this world that you have to deal with, and it's this thing called finances. I'm sure you haven't found a way yet to be able to live and have a home and have your food and do all those things and survive in this world without somebody wanting part of your finances to be able to do that. But it's the same with the church. The church must be financed in some way. Now, we find some today that would, and, and you know, this is between them and God. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying there's all kinds of ways that I guess people try to do it. We find some religious organizations, churches, whatever they call themselves today, that, that have all kinds of fundraisers. Now, I don't, there's things that are worthy raising funds over. But, you know, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where that they had to go out and bake cakes and wash cars and do all these things in order to finance God's work. People want to do those things for an extra cause, then that's, that's fine between God. But I'm saying that's not what I see in the Bible as far as the way God's work should be financed. Some do it in a business way. You know, there are some religious and church organizations that actually own businesses and operate those businesses to make a profit to cover the expenses of the church. I don't find that anywhere in my Bible. You know, I guess if, if you want the simplest, the simplest concept that we find in Scripture, who pays for the work of God? God himself. God himself. But in an operational function in the church, God does, does that through his people. That's the way he's always done it, and it's the way that he continues to do it. You see, when we first begin to get the idea of giving and stewardship, does God, does it all really belong to him or does it all really belong to us? Are we giving to him, or is it really him giving to us? <laughs> you see, I would remind you, first of all, that, well, you ought to be grateful. 
You don't serve a stingy God. You serve a giving God. You serve a gracious God. You serve a generous God. Matter of fact, God is all about giving. And he teaches us the importance of it in his word. You see, you're going, you're going to deal with finances some way in your life. I will promise you this. Whether you agree with everything that I do or not, the way to find biblical principles is in the Bible. God gives us principles of how to manage our finances and how to manage the church's finances. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, hereby, hereby, this is the way, perceive we, the love of God. Here's how we can perceive, we can see, we can know, we can understand the love of God. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know that God loves us? The Bible says, because God himself laid down his life for us. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Why? Because he, God, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. In John chapter 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Back here in 1 John again, chapter 3, we find that the Bible says in verse 17 and 18, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. If you've got worldly goods, possessions, things of value in this world, and you see your brother in need, and yet he says you just close up your bowels of compassion, <clears throat> how can you say that the love of God dwells in you? If God was willing to go to the cross and to die for you, and yet you can't. We've already seen, look at, look at what we saw taking place in that early church in Acts. Their love for one another was so much that they were selling their own personal possessions, giving up their own personal possessions. Why? Because somebody else had a need. They didn't have to be told they had to do that. They did that because of the love in their hearts. He goes on in verse 18 here and says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. <laughs> that, that really, you know, when you stop thinking in deed and in truth, in actions, well, he just got through saying, well, how can you say that you love God? And yet basically... Hold those world possessions to yourself when you see people around you that are in need. Folks, these are biblical principles. 
And I wish we just simply do not have time. I wish that we had time just to go through the scriptures looking at all the principles that are there for giving. We spoke about some of these Proverbs in our Bible study time this morning as we were looking at ways that the Christian can be happy, be blessed, because too many are saved and on their way to heaven, but boy, they're, they're miserable getting there. <laughs> they're disgruntled, they're discouraged, they're dissatisfied about everything, but the Bible wants us to be blessed, to be happy. And I've said time and again, I told them again this morning, young people, when you become a child of God, one of the best places for you to go daily is the Proverbs. Just read one or two. They're down-to-earth, practical ways to guide your life. They're the ways that will give you wisdom in the simple things that you do day by day by day in your life. Proverbs chapter 3, and in verse 9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord... Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Very simple. That's, that's not hard to understand. Honor the Lord with your substance, with what you have, not with what's left over, but with the first fruits of everything, of all of thine increase. Too often, he gets a little if we don't really need it. <laughs> if we've got a little left over. Instead of him getting the first fruits, he gets the leftovers. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24. The Bible says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. <laughs> you know, we see it all around us. The only way that you're going to get the fruits from those seeds is to scatter them, to sow them, so that the increase can come. How many times we just want to hold them in our own coffers, hold them in our own bags. That's not the way things multiply. That's not the way that we see an increase in things. Proverbs 13 and verse 7, there is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Does that make sense? How can somebody make themselves rich and yet be poor or be poor and yet be rich? Too many people, they might be rich in this world's goods. They might be rich in man's eyes. But the same Bible tells me, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can have all the gain this world can give you, but yet that's not of any value in comparison to your soul. Can you stop and comprehend that God is saying that your soul. I could point my finger at each one of you here this morning. Your soul is of more value to God than all the wealth, all the riches that this world has. You're more important to him. He gave himself for you. 
we find that he tells us in chapter 14 and in verse 21, he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. Oh, you know, you find those same, same things about it's more blessed to give than to receive when we are able to give to our neighbor's need, then that's far, far, far greater blessing than having to depend upon someone else to give to your need. We find that he tells us in chapter 19 in verse 6, he says, many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. He tells us in chapter 21 and verse 26, he coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not the righteous. Well, we know our righteousness isn't much. Our righteousness is in Christ. True righteousness is not one that is greedy, that wants for self, but one that giveth freely, as we sang earlier to others. Chapter 22 and verse 9, he that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Blessed. You know, we, we said someone, that, that's another word for being happy. <laughs> he that has a bountiful eye will be happy because he gives his bread to the poor. There are special blessings that you receive in giving that you'll never, ever, ever experience otherwise. In chapter 28 and in verse 27, <laughs> He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. If you give to somebody else that is in need, the Bible says you're not going to lack for that act of love, for that act of giving. In the last chapter in Proverbs, chapter 20, 31, and in verse 20, and of course, a passage that is often read when we think of mothers, when we think of godly ladies, we find that it says here, speaking of the virtuous woman, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. You see, one of the first principles we have to understand in giving, if we're to ever, ever, ever grasp it, and one of the things that you must understand, you know, every one of these things, in the one sense, we're giving to somebody else. We're not building up for ourselves, and yet... It's in giving that is multiplied that 
we're blessed far more than if we just keep what we've got for ourselves. That doesn't make sense to the world, but it sure makes sense to God. God doesn't work like the world. God's principles aren't like the world's. God gave himself. That's what the Bible says. That's what the word of God says. God gave himself. We find that in the scriptures, and we will be looking at a passage that directs us to that specific thing later, but our first step in giving is to truly give ourselves to God. You see, God gave himself, and yes, he meets all of our needs. He gives to us all these things that we need, but first of all, he gave himself. That's the first step for us. Giving ourselves to God. Not to the world, not to the world's possessions, not to what we're building up down here. Does God have your life, you, lock, stock, and barrel? Or does he just have the leftovers? Just the leftovers. God gave himself. You must give yourself. Matter of fact, before we concern ourselves with giving God anything else, we got to begin with me. Me. Give him me. See, a lot of people have problems with things and possessions, whether it's the money in the bank or whether that's the things that they've bought with that money. You know the real problem a lot of the times, the real reason? Because they haven't truly given themselves to God. It's troublesome about their things because God doesn't really have them. I'm convinced that when you truly give yourself to God, when you give him all of you, you'll have absolutely no problem with the things you might have collected in this world. <laughs> You'll have absolutely no problem whatsoever if God has you. I think that it's also very obvious that so many times people just simply haven't grasped the biblical concept, the biblical principles of what giving really is all about no matter what dimension that it might be in. You know, I remember telling you the illustration once before. You know, when a person goes to the doctor and maybe they're just having a checkup, well, you know, the doctor has a way of beginning to poke and prod and stick his finger in all these places. And, you know, if, if nothing hurts, that's fine. Sometimes it may just tickle a little bit, but... Uh, Suddenly, if somebody cries out with pain, well, something hurt. Now, doctors have been known to push too hard, <laughs> to poke in a not-so-friendly manner. And sometimes preachers can do that too. <laughs> but the truth is, is that the other possibility is that you know, maybe it's hurting because something's wrong. Maybe we need to look and see what's causing that pain. You know, so many times we want to treat the symptoms. You know, we get a headache, 
We take a bit of ibuprofen or paracetamol or something to, to do away with the symptom. Well, what was causing the headache in the first place? So many times we go to the doctor and they just want to treat the symptoms instead of getting to the root of it. I'm saying that when we begin to try to look at these things, if it hurts, I'm not saying I can't be wrong. I'm not saying I might be poking in the wrong place or poking too hard, but that's certainly not my desire is to let God do that through his word. And if it hurts, then why not look a bit further? Why not find out what the root of that problem is? We've been talking much in our discussion of the church about the importance of our witness. Folks, we are here alive, breathing, a church, existing for one reason as his children, to carry on the work of Christ. We're not here to build up our bank accounts. We're not here to get a nicer home and a newer car and all these things. I'm not saying it's wrong to have some of those. That's not why you're here. We sing sometimes because it comes from a very clear biblical principle and perspective. You know, we talk about putting him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not your kingdom. We build our little kingdoms down here. We're all guilty of it if we're not careful. But he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We just read something about that righteousness there a while ago. If we're righteous, it's, 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 it's going to have an effect on our heart and our attitude in giving instead of being greedy. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does it say then? And all these things shall be added unto you. So the problem is we don't really trust God with the things that we like so good. <laughs> we kind of like to take care of that ourselves. <laughs> we don't trust God to give us what we need. We don't trust God to know what will make us happy. We need to focus upon him and his kingdom. And folks, our greatest purpose in being here, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that God loved us, we saw there, because he gave himself for us. There's a number of things that are needed if we're going to effectively carry out the commission that he gave to us, which we have looked at in great detail. That's going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to every creature. My, how we fail. And yet that's our instruction. That's what we're to do. His death is worthless if they don't know about it. His death is useless if they're being misled by something that's not the truth. In order for that to happen, it's going to require personnel. It's going to require people that are willing to go. That's part of what our mission conference is about. You know, some people don't come to mission conferences enough because God just might speak to them. God might say, you're the one I want to go. You're the one I want to send here. 
It requires prayer. We've looked at that in great detail already. We'll never accomplish anything in our power. It requires prayer. It requires power, a power that can only come from him. You know what? In this world, it requires possessions as well. All these practical things that we've looked at is about giving of our possessions down here, giving of what we have, just as God gave all that he had for us. A lot of people really do believe that it's just a matter of figuring out, okay, which one of those things does God want me to be involved in? Personnel, prayer, possessions. Because, you know, it doesn't seem right that he would want us to be involved in more than one of those. But I'm saying I don't think in God's eyes it's all neatly cut and separated and divided like that. You see, God needs personnel. He needs you. Oh, he'll accomplish his work with or without you. For his, for his work to be accomplished through his church these people, people that are willing to say as I as I, here am I, send me. Here am I. You see, God needs you. Maybe he doesn't need you to go to some other foreign land. Maybe you're the one of the ones that he was going to have right here because whether you're here or whether you're there, unless we're really praying and seeking his power, nothing is going to happen. Maybe. You know what? He wants your possessions. <laughs> oh, we find so many illustrations through Scripture. You know, the rich man that came to Jesus, <laughs> he, was, he was living so wonderful, wasn't he? He was following the commandments. He was doing these things that he was supposed to as a religious person. And yet, when the Lord told him to sell what he had, <laughs> and give to the poor. That was a little bit too much to ask. You see, it's not that his possessions would send him to hell. Why does the Bible tell us that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Speaking literally there of one of those little gates in the, in the wall of Jerusalem, easier for a camel to go through that than for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? It's hard for us to get rid of the greed. It's hard for us to really honestly accept the fact that it's all God's. God created it all from nothing. You wouldn't be here without him. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have the health, the strength, the ability to have what you've had without him. We begin to see ourselves as being faithful stewards of what really belongs to God. It all belongs to him, so are we going to waste it on these non-essentials that we think are essential? Are we going to use it or unashamedly, the most important thing in this world, that's his work. So many. I say that God wants us to be involved full stop 
everything that we are and everything that we have. Now, we've talked a number of times, and I would say to you again this morning that I see different aspects of how the church is to be financed scripturally, but none of them matter. You see, the Bible talks about when we give, you know, the Bible talks about even, even our relationships. If it costs us our husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, these people that we love the most in this life, you know what he said? He said, he'll give you back, Brother Romani, hundredfold, <laughs> hundredfold. You know, that's hard. There's people we love. But in the end, if because of putting God first, it costs us those, God's going to give you back far more. Bible talks about us giving to God and, you know, just, just, just like sowing that seed, that the seeds first got to be sown in order to be the harvest to be reaped, but always what you sow, you always reap far more in the harvest. You plant one seed, you get back much fruit. That's the principle of God's giving. We've got to sow. We've got to plant what we have. The Bible talks about when we give, the Bible talks about him giving back, pressed down shaken together and running over. In other words, you know, he just packs it in there. He's not trying to be greedy. You give, he's going to give it back to you many times over. Man, he's going to stuff it in there. He's going to pack it in there. You know, you take that, that, that box or that jar and you shake it to make sure that it, it all gets settled in, that there's no air spaces in there. When God gives back to you, he doesn't cut any corners. Do we really believe that? Because only when we really, truly believe that, <laughs> no longer is it a problem. Whether we're talking about different aspects of giving that we'll find in the Scripture, whether it's tithing, whether it's the free will offerings, whether it's the faith promise, can we grasp and understand? We can never be worse off by doing what, God has asked us to do by following his principles. That's an impossibility. This is something that deals with your life every day. Sometimes we like to get on all the, we like to think about all these spiritual aspects, but yet it's these actions. What did he say? Not to love in word, but to love in deed. In truth, you know, our lives make a difference. Now, I recognize as we look into the Scriptures, you can find all kinds of different opinions, and I'm, I'm not going to get into arguments with people. I'm going to give you principles that I believe are given to us in the Word of God. Some would say that what I see is this first dimension of giving. This matter of, we read about the first fruits, the tithes. You know, some people believe that that is essential to a Christian and some are not. 
Some believe that it applies only to the Old Testament and not to the New Testament. Well, there's only one place to look and find out, and that is the Scripture, to establish from the Scripture, because I've read all kinds of religious books on the subject. Guess what? They can't all be right. Now, when I make a statement, maybe I should clarify it. When I say that I believe that the tithe is still for us and that it is binding upon us, not because it's compulsory in order to be saved and go to heaven, not because that it's required or compulsory to experience the love of God, to experience the grace of God. You know, it's true that, that, that in a sense is not binding in the same way that it was under the law. This is a principle that was there before the law. And it was there after the law. And it was binding in a way of its own under the law. It's one of God's biblical principles. Now, if you want to study what the Bible says about it, first of all, you'll find that if my word count is correct, that in the Old Testament, you'll find this word listed some 32 times. 27, it's translated as tithe. Two, it's translated as the tenth part. Two, it's simply translated as tenth. And one, it's translated as tithing instead of tithe. You find that that's pretty overwhelming. Is it in the New Testament? Well, yes, it is. It's in the New Testament a total of four times. One is translated to pay your tithe. One is translated as tithe. One is translated to give your tithe. And one is translated to take your tithe. Now, that term first fruits that we saw, that's a term that's talking about the first fruits of God getting the first part, the best part of what we have. Well, that's, that's in the Bible a lot. <laughs> And it bring, it's talking about the first fruits, and it might be talking about of your, of your crop or of your animals or whatever that it is. Bringing those things to God. Again, just adding strength to the whole biblical principle of giving. You see, I would share with you this. You know, that as we begin to look into the Bible, we find that this thing called the tithe existed before the law ever came into existence. Do you know when the tithe came into existence? You don't find it anywhere in the Bible until this first man called Abraham. I don't know how many of you, even, even the kids, they used to love to sing that song, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of the nations, the father of God's people. Because they all descended from that. Why? Abraham was the first man that God called to choose and separate a people of his own in this world. You find that if you look back into the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, notice what the Bible says here in verses 18 to 20. 
It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek, king, the high priest here. It says, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Tithes of all. You find that if you read of that same happening in the New Testament, it was of enough importance that God saw fit to remind us of it in the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 7, the Bible says this. Notice it says, For this Melchizedek, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 7, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Okay, this Melchizedek, he was the king, he was the priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Melchizedek was a type of Christ in the Scriptures. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham." But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may to say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. <laughs> you see, the Bible is teaching this same truth, just like in all Adam sinned. He's teaching this, this, this matter of tithing that began. The Bible says Abraham gave tithes of all to Melchizedek, this type of Christ. Now, there was no command that we can see anywhere in Scripture. The law didn't even exist yet at this time. This was when God first called out a people of his own. No command, no law, evidently being done voluntarily. 
I think it's probably important to note that this very first time that we ever hear or read of this thing called tithing, it's being practiced by the individual that God had called to be the father of his people, <laughs> the father of the nations. As soon as that man was set aside, we find from that very moment in Scripture a tithe was being paid here to the one that was like Christ himself. Two generations later, Genesis chapter 28, and I'll give you these verses in coming to an end of our time this morning. Genesis chapter 28. Notice what he says here, beginning in verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord Jehovah be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Look at the Bible. Look at all it is. It begins with Abraham. When God calls out a people of his own, that very first one that he calls to set aside begins to pay tithes to one that is a type of Christ. The Bible says, two generations later, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We find that Jacob is making a vow. And he says, if, or it could be translated since, if you would here, you know, if I can trust God, since I can trust God to be with me, to meet my needs, the food, the clothing, the protection. He says, I'm going to set up this stone pillar. And that is what's going to mark or designate what? God's house. And he makes a promise. First of all, since God is going to take care of me and where I go and all that I need, I'm going to designate a place for him, God's house, and he says, of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I remind you again, Folks, this was not being done by the law. It wasn't being done by commandment. It was voluntarily being practiced as a way of worshiping God and acknowledging faith in his promises. What promise? What promise did he made to Jacob? Do you remember the promise that he made to Abraham? Well, back up just a couple of verses there. Still in Genesis chapter 28. Notice what he set up in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it, above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, 
and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places, whether thou goest, will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. God said, I've made a promise. And there's no way in the world that I'm going anywhere that that promise is fulfilled. You see, Jacob made a vow. Well, since God, he's going to lead me the way I'm going to go. He's going to take care of my needs. He's going to protect me. He's going to do all these things for me. I'm going to establish a place right now. It'll designate God's house. And I am going to give him a tenth of everything that he blesses me with. From the time God called Abraham to be the father of his people, a chosen people, God's chosen people, we see the practice of tithing in Scripture. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... And, of course, you know what happens under Jacob. It's under him because of the famine that God's people end up in Egypt. During that famine, through the graciousness and kindness and love of another that the Bible says is a type of Christ, his name was Joseph. Through him, God brought Jacob and his sons into the land of Egypt where Joseph made sure that their needs were met. And you know what? God's people remained there for some 350 years after that until God calls forth another man to lead them out. His name was Moses. And, of course, it's then, through Moses, that God gives his law. And we will look. And, and you know, here, I, I know it's not going to make any difference, to all, and I can't help it. I've put a phenomenal amount of time in trying to search out every, every instance that God has anything to say about this anywhere in Scripture. And you know what? There's no way in the world that I can possibly do all of that and get all that in in just a matter of a few minutes. I want you to recognize this this morning, and I want you to keep this in mind. And then we'll look at some other things. I, I wish... I wish that we were all here this evening so I could just carry right on. But I'd love to get through all of this in the next two weeks before our missions conference, but it, it's not going to happen. But you see, what I'm asking of you this morning is consider this. If we are going to consider ourselves to be a New Testament church, then we need to operate in the way the Bible teaches us. The Bible gives us ways for God's work to be financed. The first of those methods is this thing called the tithe. The tithe was established from the very first time that God called out a people in this world to be separate from this world with Abraham. And I promise you that then that very practice that took place even prior to the law is commanded under the law. It was done before the law, voluntarily. 
and is commanded under the law. And the real question we've got to see is, okay, well, what about after the law? What place does it have in our lives? Well, I believe we've got to just look at the Word of God and what it has in all of this. Let me say this. God has a way not only for his church's finances, but for your finances, for your needs to be met. You see, one thing that we see here is that with Abraham and Jacob, before the law came into existence, before they were commanded to do it, they did it. Why? To worship God and to acknowledge that they really believe that God was going to be with them, that God would keep his promises, that God would do all those things for them. I want you to understand, God wants you to be blessed. God wants your needs to be met. And just one, one of the dimensions of giving is through the tithe that existed before it was ever commanded of God, since God has had a people. And we'll look at what it says under the law, and we'll look at what it says since the law. This morning, does God have you? Are you willing to trust God as these men did? And once we've gone through these different dimensions of giving, you will decide yourself where you fit into all this and what you are going to do. But as your pastor, I want you to know what God says. I want you to have God's greatest blessings on your life. God's there for you. And his principles are the best principles. Father, I thank you this morning as we've looked into your word, Lord, because Lord, it's a very needful thing. Your church, your work must be financed in some way. We believe that you give us the principles for that in your word. And Father, I pray that you would just help us have open hearts and open minds as we search the Scriptures to know, Lord, not only how you would have us to manage and deal with the finances of your house, but in our own lives. Because, Lord, in reality, the two cannot be separated if we are the church. So I pray that you'd help us, that you'd give us understanding. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to find a grasp on how that we can trust you we can trust you and acknowledge that trust just as Abraham and Jacob did in our readings this morning. Help us, Lord, to have that same kind of trust wherever we go with our giving. Lord, it's got to begin with you having us, having all of us. And Lord, as we give ourselves completely to you, that we genuinely trust you to be with us, to do with our lives and within our lives all that needs to be done. We give you the praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.